I'm actually going to start here. I want to, uh, oh, actually, where's, is, uh, is David Cooper in the house? He's back. Can you just, can you call him in? Um, we've, you know, as, as we've been in uh, this abiding and understanding just how to walk in the place of abiding, uh, I was actually, last week, as we were doing these, just these group times together. By the way, did you guys enjoy just that, that time last week of in, of in the groups? We're going we're gonna to do that at least, we just felt like we're going to do that once a month. Um, we're going to have the breakfast and gather into the groups. And then, I don't believe that's it. The Lord's going to use this to do other things. We just don't want to go like, oh, I think we got it figured out. We're just listening. And, uh, but I, I believe the Lord is really beginning to establish uh, just the community and the, the, the relationships, which are so important in this season. A lot of times you can just come into a church service, hear a message, it's real easy. You don't have to participate and, uh, and leave. But I think there's, there's, the Lord is raising us up to, in a deeper way to participate. Um, but I, give David Cooper a big hand here. Um, you can just call him Coop. But uh, he is the head of schools for Front Range up at a Christian school uh, up in Denver. And, man, they are doing amazing work up there. Oh, there you go. And, uh, and I just, I was talking to him while the groups were, were praying and, and talking together. And he was just sharing this testimony of, of, of abiding, of learning how to abide. And I was like, hey, would you just share this next week? And so he said, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, go for it. I thought I was coming in here to escort Andrew out as a part of security, but <laughs> apparently not. Yeah, I'm David Cooper. I'm the head of school for Range Christian School in Littleton. Um, but, and I'm part of the security team. How cool is that? Uh, really, all I am is a redeemed liar, cheat, thief, adulterer, murderer, whatever, make the list. That's all I am. And everything else are just titles. Um, and I think what Mike is referring to is I, I'm pretty diligent to pray for my school. And uh, for I don't know how long, uh, every day I pray three prayers. I pray that every member of my school community, every parent, child, teacher, and everyone who is associated with our school, that they would walk out of vibrant faith in Jesus Christ, one that is founded on his word, guided by his Holy Spirit, and unpolluted by secular thought and worldly wisdom. I pray every day that the Lord would move on the hearts of those that he has entrusted with kingdom resources, that he might move on their heart, that they would give with inexplicable generosity, that they would wipe out our debt. And I prayed for years that he would bless us with an enrollment of 600 students, grades K through 12. Every day, well, I shouldn't say every day, virtually every day, I pray those things and extend them over my family and others. I was having my quiet time one day at the kitchen table before going to school, and I was praying those same things. And I got to that last prayer of, Father, I just want 600 kids, grades K through 12. And I heard him correct me and say, who gave you that number, David? Ooh. And it, it hit me hard in that moment. And I started having this really frantic kind of argument with him. Well, God, I mean, it's, I, 
I did. I did all the calculations, people. I looked at the budget, I looked at how many seats I had, how many classrooms I had, the square footage I had, and you know what? 600 students balances the budget. It's what I needed to do what I needed to do. And he said, I didn't, I didn't give you that number. You calculated that number. And I started weeping at my kitchen table because I realized in that moment I had been praying diligently. I'd been wasting time in the throne room of God, lifting up something, wanting something, and he's saying, if you would just loosen your grip. Sometimes I think we hold too tightly onto what we think God's will is. And when we learn to hold firmly but loosely onto the truth as we know it, there's a greater revelation of it lying ahead for us. So I changed my prayer that day. And now I pray those same two prayers, and my third prayer is simply this. Father, please help us to be effective in the mission and vision that you have called us to for your glory. I started changing that prayer about, I guess it's close to over a year ago now, and uh, I shared the same story with my staff at our staff retreat at the beginning of the year because I had to tell them that this year our enrollment increased by almost 20%. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Typical year, it's 3 or 4% increase. Finally let go. Finally said, all right, Lord. I'll stop calculating, counting the army, and just let you do what you want to do. Amen. So he asked me to share, and I thought, why is it I always give these testimonies where I finally go, stop being an idiot? That's my testimony, <laughs> right? That's these moments of stopping a dingling after 40 plus years of walking with Jesus and let him do it and great things happen. Whereas you ask my wife to give a testimony, it's testimonies of times she's prayed for people and they've virtually risen from the dead, they've been healed, they've had babies, they've gotten married, they, she sings these amazing prophetic songs. That's her testimonies. Mine are all testimonies of stop being an idiot and, and watch what God can do. Come on. And that's the message for today. <laughs> Stop being an idiot. Take that one to the bank, right? Um, <laughs> it's actually so good that I think sometimes we think we know what's best. And, and I, you know, I love the Lord, how he's like, you know, he kind of lets us do our thing. And then it's in the moments that we just kind of stop and wait that he's like, hey, did I ask you to do that? And then it all of a sudden it's that, oh, no, no. Remember when David uh, did a census uh, in Jerusalem? And uh, it didn't go so well. Uh, yeah. But we have to be very aware of what the Spirit's doing. And then we move by the Spirit. And the beauty of it is he got his answer to the prayer, but it happened a different way. Uh, and that's... 
that's, that's our God. And he's like, look, you just press into me. You seek first my kingdom. And I, I'll take care of all those things that are in front of you. We've seen over and over and over again, I can tell you testimony after testimony of just his goodness over these past years where it's like, well, this isn't going to make sense. I don't know how we're going to do that. And we just step into it, and God answers prayers. He, he moves because we're in alignment with his plans. It's like Gideon, right? I mean, he's like, Gideon, you're going to go, and you're going to take out the Amorite armies, and you're going to, uh, or the Midianites, and, and, um, and, and then Gideon calls he has this call, and 32,500 people come because of his call. And God's like, yeah, that's too many. And then he knocks it all the way back down to 300. And I think that's sometimes the Lord, because he's like, I don't want you to get any of this. This isn't about you getting the credit. This is about you just walking in obedience. And you're going to do things in a way that the world's going to go, how is that possible? And we're going to say, because it's all for his glory, because he's so good. As I was just preparing yesterday, um, the Lord just, I haven't had this happen in a while, he just began to speak, I'm starting to write, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, he's speaking right now. And um, so I wanna start with this, I just ask, just close your eyes. And uh, I felt like this was just a word for the church right now. And, and then we'll just kind of, sp I'll speak into a couple things. Uh, but I ask, that, Lord, that, that just as you, it just hit me uh, yesterday. But I ask that, that this would just drive deep into people's hearts. Lord, as you're speaking right now in this time for your church, and even in these times of fasting and prayer, especially in these times of fasting and prayer, Lord, it's, it's like we've tuned in a little greater. He's always speaking, but it's like on a radio when you tune the channel in, man, it's like all of a sudden there's clarity. And this is, this is I just wrote this down, I'll just read it. As we are in the last days, I heard the Lord say, you are in the hour of prayer. I am leading you to my garden. But do not focus on my garden. Set your eyes on me. Follow my ways. Pray as I pray. Intercede as I intercede. I will give you my word. I need my church to awaken for this time, for the night watch. Will you, I put in parentheses, my church, keep watch with me for this hour? I am interceding from the throne room right now. Will my bride intercede with me? You are in the hour of intercession. For the time has come and tomorrow is now today. The time has come. Do not delay. Do not fall asleep. Awaken, church. Put your eyes on me. I am with you. I am your answer. I am your way. As you enter into the depths of my heart, my word will become your words. And by your words, you will shift the heavens and the earth. But apart from me, you will do nothing. 
So come with me into the garden of my heart, and the words I give you will ring with power and authority. Atomic shockwaves are about to be released that will shake the nations. And I will give you eyes to see me and ears to hear what my spirit is saying to the church. (laughs) Warning, do not lead my people astray. Do not speak words that are not from me and of my heart. Do not rest on your own understanding, but lean into me with all of your heart. Consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves apart from every desire of this world. For the lovers of this world will deny me. They will deny my wisdom and they will deny my power. Separate yourselves from ungodly wisdom and position your hearts and your lives fully in my trust. Prepare, for the day and the hour is near. Keep watch and pray. You are weak, but my spirit is strong. Together, the spirit and the bride say, come. This is our hour. Lord, I thank you that you're speaking in these times. You're preparing your church. What was okay in past seasons is not okay today. What was allowed in past seasons is not allowed today. There's a scripture verse. He says this. He says, be perfect as I am perfect. (laughs) Be holy as I am holy. Be righteous as I am righteous. Lord, I thank you that you're drawing us into your heart in these times. You are coming back for a pure and a spotless bride. You're not coming back for a bride that has their eyes set on the things of this world. I thank you for the awakening of your church in these times. Holy Spirit, you are the counselor You are the one who reveals all things. And I pray that you would give us your mind, your mindset, that we would see what you see. We would know what you know. We would hear what you're speaking. And we would move according to your ways. Moses said this. He said, Lord, help me to know your ways. Why? That I may walk in them. And that your favor would rest upon me. Lord, I thank you. It's not just about knowing your ways. But it is about walking in them. That your favor would rest upon your people. That favor is the grace. It's the presence of God. He says, I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to give you my rest. It's to distinguish us from, from everyone else. From everything else. He puts his spirit within us. To distinguish us from the rest of the world. Amen. So I felt, as I heard this word from the Lord, I just, I believe that he is, he is moving us into this abiding prayer life of that everything we do is going to come out of this 
this secret place. It's going to come out of this place with the Lord as we're spending time with Him, as we're abiding in Christ, that, that then there is the action and the movement. But guess what? When we, when we move with Him, we don't move in a natural and we don't move in our own strength. We actually move from a position of supernatural uh, because we're actually moving in His strength, in His ways, and, and not our own ways. The, the hard part, I know, for the church even now is that, that we still try to, to think of things and, and reason things out. And if things don't make sense, we often will pause and we'll shift and he'll say, hey, I want you to go this way. And we'll, we'll be like, well, Lord, that can't quite be right because if I do that, it's not going to work. But I'll, I'll do this. I'll move over here and I'll kind of, I'll kind of walk your direction uh, but I know that this is probably better because it aligns, it makes more sense. And in and, and the time that we're in, he's saying, no, I need you to trust me when it doesn't make sense. And, and that's where we're going to see this power and this authority released because we're going to be walking in his ways. It, Isaiah says this, it says, his ways are not our ways. As the heavens are from the earth, so are his ways from our ways. So it's not that we can like, have our ways kind of fit in with his ways. They're, they're like from earth to heaven different. <laughs> so, so we just have to stop thinking in our ways and, and start having the mind of Christ and the mind of the Spirit and allowing him to speak. And then we move without trying to reason things out. Amen. So in this place, though, uh, and I'm going to just kind of this a pivot here, because I, as I was pressing into this and saying, okay, Lord, we're going we're gonna to come into this place of prayer. We're, we're going to abide in you. We're going to move according to your ways. We're going to see things shift. We're going to see mountains move. Uh, we're, you know, I, I, um, Elijah says, it says, he was a man just like us. And he prayed, and rain stopped for three and a half years. He prayed again, and rain started. Uh, this is the God that we serve. But I, but I want to take you, actually, if you just open your Bibles to James 5. Uh, there is power in our prayers. <laughs> but the Lord just kind of, you know, you get that, like, loving gut punch. Like, Phew, oh, wow. Um, catch this, because these are, I just feel this is so critically important right now. There's three parts to this, three points I just want to make. Um, in the abiding prayer... Uh, in James 5, it says, it says, it says the, the prayer of a righteous person, a righteous man, it, it's powerful and effective. Well, what is a righteous man? Well, we're in Christ. We're righteous, right? But back up a verse. I want you to see a connection here with this. And it says, there, it says therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then it says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This place of, of confession of, of our sins, it's, I think it's something that's kind of misunderstood sometimes in the church. And we, we think, well, uh, like I'm just going to confess them to the Lord. But what, what we're doing often is, is it's like we're staying in that private place where it's still quiet, nobody knows, just me and the Lord. Uh, but what happens is these things actually become hidden sins in our life. 
And, and we think that, well, I'm confessing it to the Lord, but there's something that happens when you actually confess it to others. And I want to say, this is not like, you know, going to the priest and confessing your sins and then, and, you know, and then you do the Hail Marys and you go on and about your day. This is not what this is about. The Lord actually, he looks at the heart. He looks at the position of the heart. And, and so you may actually be doing everything right, but what's your, and eventually you won't be doing everything right because the, it, it's like the heart, he talks about it as a tree and, and a good tree will bear good fruit. But a bad tree, a tree that has a bad heart, it will bear bad fruit. It, it, we don't, it's not about the fruit in our life. This is what we talked about last week. Like, the fruit just is produced. There's fruit going to be produced in your life. The question is, is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? And it's going to be based on the position of your heart. And so when, when, the, when the word here is talking about this place of, of confession, of confessing things, it's, it's this revealing of things that all of a sudden what's been like kind of controlling and, and in the dark, it's like it's hiding and it's gripping your heart, it's gripping your soul, and, and you're like, well, I confess it to the Lord, but, but it's still like it's this hidden thing between you and God and no one else, and, and then it's just but you're not able to break through. And, and there's something powerful about the body of Christ. The Lord set it up this way that his church is to come together and strengthen one another. And this is where it says, and you pray for one another. You pray for each other so that you can be healed. There's power in this, like, confessing these things and coming and saying, man, I'm dealing with something that is, is overpowering me. And every time I, you know, I, I, I got a handle on it, I think I got it, I confessed it to the Lord, I, he forgave me, and, and then boom, a month later, it's like it hit again. But there's something about allowing these things to be exposed that takes the, it, it takes this, like, this control off of it. I want to, so let me, let me, let me take you to 1 John, um, 1 John 1. Same guy who wrote John 15, <laughs> just a few years later in life. And, uh, and he's talking about abiding right here. Uh, He's talking about, it says, this is about walking in the light. This is the abiding. And so I want to start in, in verse 5. And it says this. This is the message we have heard from him. And we declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And then it says this. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not live by the truth. I believe I'm tying this back into this abiding and this prayer life that we're called to. But this is something that has to be dealt with, and if it's not, it's going to affect your abiding and it's going to affect your prayer life. That there are things, there can be these hidden things where we, God is light, and, and, it, and as we're called to walk with him and abide in him, it says, in him there is no darkness at all. And so, so if we're walking with these things in our life, and we're saying, it says, we claim to have fellowship with him, but it says, but yet we walk in the darkness. These are these hidden things. I just feel like there's these hidden sins in our life that we think are okay. But I will say this, 
they will eventually take you down. It may, be, it may be years down the road, and you may think, oh, I'm fine. It's okay. Like, it, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's under the blood. It's good. There is a confessing that is, it is, that is necessary, I believe, for the church to come alongside, to pray, to contend for these things together. That it's not just you and God. The confession is a public statement to say, hey, I got an issue, I need help. Yes, it is the Lord that does it, it is the Lord's help, it is the blood of Jesus, but he actually uses the body of Christ. It's kind of like if, you, if, you're, if, if part of your body is injured, the rest of the body is actually used to help, bring, that helps, <laughs> helps to bring the healing to that part of the body. In the same way, when we pray for each other, there is power in this for healing so that, that there is a righteousness so that we can actually be effective in our prayers. Uh, it goes on to say this. So, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. This light, I believe, is the exposing of the hidden things. It's the exposing of this, of those, those, the darkness, the stuff in our lives that we just, we don't talk about and we just praise the Lord, God, I'm, I'm doing great, everything's great, and then it's that one thing that's just, that's sucking you down and it's affecting your life. And it's not only affecting your life, I guarantee, it's affecting the lives of those around you. Uh, it says this, if we walk in the light, if we live our lives in the light as he is in the light, then it says, then we have fellowship with one another, koinonia. And it's fellowship, that word is actually fellowship in the spirit. Because there's only, the only oneness that we can have is by the spirit. So there is a fellowship in the spirit that we have in the light as we walk together, which is beautiful. And then it says this, and it says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. From all sin. Not just some, all. But then it goes on to say this. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, here it is. This is that place of confession. And, and I, the sad thing is I think it's just kind of gotten this, like, the mindset is like when you say, oh, I'm going to confession or something. Like it's like, oh, I'm just going to go kind of confess this sin to someone over here and, and then I'm, I'm good. No, there's, I believe it's like a, it's not, it's not to shame. It's, it's actually to, to bring the freedom in the body of Christ that we're called to. And I, I want to speak to the second part in just a minute because here's the sad part is there's this part of, yes, we're going to confess to one another. And, and there's power in the confession. But what does the body of Christ typically do is when they hear about these things, they don't go, oh, way to go. We're going to contend and pray with you and we're going to see God move in your life. They go, you're out, <laughs> right? So, so it's this like, you know, you've got from one end, the Lord's like saying, yes, we've got to confess this. From the other end, it's like, the people that do go and they're like, okay, I'm going to confess this thing. And they confess this thing. And then the church just goes, 
wham, and nails him and says, how could you do this? Like, <laughs> and I, see, I was seeing this, I was praying into this, and I'm like, this is like when Jesus, you know, that, that woman that committed adultery and everyone wanted to stone her. I feel like sometimes this is what the church is doing. It's like all of a sudden something gets exposed in someone's life in the church, especially a leader or something, and what does everyone do? They pick up the stones and they're like, yeah, that guy, I knew something was wrong with him. <laughs> Whack, right? And Jesus says this. He says, hey, he who is without sin cast the first stone. This is this other part that we have to be so cautious. It says, if you judge, I mean, actually, I'll just read this. Because the church has a tendency to justify the judgment, to say, oh, yeah, you, you did it wrong. And, and sh you know, shame on you. You're out. You're no longer part of the church. We do everything right. And yet, I would say, it's right here, it says it, like, if you, if you say that you have not sinned, if you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in you. This is the position of our heart where we, there's a, there's a contrite spirit that we have, that we're, we're crushed in this to say, God, I know there's, there's, there's things in my life, I want them exposed so that I would have a pure heart. The, the, uh, the Beatitudes, if you go through the Beatitudes, it's so beautiful. I believe, and it starts with this contrite heart. It starts with a crushed spirit. It starts in this place where you go, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. The sins in my life, sin is even to the point of if you're walking outside the will of God, it's lawlessness. He says, unless you do my will, like, and sometimes we're like, well, I, like, I was walking in your will, and then I'm not now. There is a place that he calls us to, that there is a contrite spirit that we have where we are constantly going, Lord, I want to have a tender heart that in the moment that I walk outside of your plans and your purposes, that I, I'm like, oh, Lord, I want to come back into that place. I want to live from that place. There is such power in this place of repentance in the church. It's not a bad word. It's actually a beautiful word because it is his blood that cleanses us. It is the blood of Jesus that we get to run into the throne room of grace, that we don't hide it and say, well, you know, I, I confessed real quietly. Nobody heard me, but I did the confession and I'm just going to figure it out and we'll be good. And, and then, bam, you hit it again. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Confess these things to one another. And it says, and he is faithful and just. He will forgive our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claimed that we have not sinned, then we have made him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. If you, if you want to abide in him, we better learn repentance. We better learn how to walk in that place. This does not justify our, like, are, that it's okay to sin. No, no, no. God hates sin. He, he is light. He is not darkness. But that's where the Holy Spirit comes in, convicts our heart, not so that we can sin every once in a while. No, so that we can walk a pure life, so that we can walk before the Lord in such amazing purity. And, and, and it, 
cleansed from all the unrighteousness and then strengthened by him. But in those moments, that's why we have that contrite heart, that in those moments where he reveals something like, oh, I just, I just spoke this against my kids or I did this to my wife or, man, this person on the road that I just like, beep, 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 you know, and, and these things happen. I mean, they do. You're walking along and all of a sudden it's like, bam, you do something, you're like, Oh, but the hope is, is that you're convicted in your heart in those moments, and then you run to the Lord. That we don't just go, ah, I'm just going to keep that hidden. No, confess those things. Ask for prayer. I, I, this is where I'm like, we got to start asking for more prayer from each other. Man, I just, I just, I messed up. I messed up in this area. Would you pray with me? I want to contend for this. I want this broken over my life, that it is not going to be a generational thing that continues. We need to break the generational things over our families and it, let it start right now with us and expose these things the, to the darkness that, that, that where they've been, they've been in darkness, expose these things, bring them to the light. I just feel now's the time. If we're going to abide in him, if we're going to have effective prayers, if we're going to have our lives effective in him, and, and listen, I'm not praying from a, from a high place here going, I got this all figured out. If you talk to my kids, if you talk to my wife, they will tell you, I don't have this any more figured out than you do. I'm not preaching from a place of holiness. I'm preaching from a place I, I want to get to this. I want to I be in that place. I want to contend for it in my life, in my family's life, in our church's lives, that we begin to live this way before the Lord. But, but then as the church, so let me just jump over here um, to Matthew. Because the, the, the sad part is, is that we cannot be a church that that judges one another. And it says this, it says, do not, this is uh, Matthew 7, 1. It says, do not judged, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. This is the Lord speaking. This is Jesus speaking. What is he saying? If you judge others, I will judge you. But wait, Lord, we're under your grace. This is like, I'm under the grace. I can, even if I judge, I'm under the grace. If you judge others with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. This should put the fear of God in our hearts. That when we see someone that is, has, has made a wrong decision, is doing something wrong, that we don't step into a place of judgment against them. We, we pray for them. We contend for their salvation. We contend for their life. We don't, we don't turn a blind eye and just say, well, I hope they figure it out. No, I believe we speak truth. It's the truth that sets people free. We're going to contend for their life. If I have a friend and he's about to walk off a cliff, I'm going to go, hey, don't walk off that cliff. You're going to die. But sometimes we think of sin, a friend sitting who's living in sin, and we're like, well, that's different. No, the wages of sin is death. If people continue in that place, it leads to death. Not just physical death, spiritual death. So don't, this is no light thing. God cannot be a part of sin. 
He is separated from sin. He is light, and in him there is no darkness. We want to abide in him. We abide in the light. We expose these things. We pray and we contend for each other. I believe it's time for the church to rise up and to begin to pray for the church and, and speak into these situations in love. When I have a buddy, like, I'm not, I'm not coming against him. It's because of my love for him or her or whoever it is that I'm going, no, don't do that. You're part of the body of Christ. And, and, and if they don't get it, then just pray for them. But don't judge them. You're not the judge. The, the, that scripture, the scripture in Micah 6.8, it's one that I just, I, I try to live by all the days of my life, but I don't always do it. But it says, act, this is what the Lord requires of you, act justly. That means like act in righteousness, live your life in a place of righteousness. But then it says, love mercy. And then it says, and walk humbly with your God. Why do I act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly? Because it's the nature and character of our God. If you look at the life of Jesus on this earth, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. He was the most merciful person on the earth. And yet he walked with justice. His life was, was justice. He says, do this, follow me, follow in my ways. When you see someone who's in sin, did Jesus come against them? Did he pick? He was without sin. He could have cast the first stone. But he says, go and your sins have been forgiven and do not sin. Don't go back into it. Don't come back into that place. But you're forgiven. That's the mercy of our God. That he died on a cross because he's so merciful. It's, he said, we have this thing. This is the third thing. I, forgiveness. If we don't get this, we're going to be in real trouble. We, we think that, that, well, forgiveness is something that I'll kind of figure out later. When somebody does something against me, like right now, I'm furious. They're out. I could speak a whole lot of words about them. And then, Lord, you know, I'm going to work through this process of forgiving, and eventually I'll come to forgiveness. No, you better, <laughs> so I'm going to say, you better get your act right right now. And come to a place of forgiveness now. Do not wait. Do not allow yourself to, to kind of wallow in this place of unforgiveness or bitterness in your life. It will destroy your life. And, and it's worse than that. It will destroy your physical life. It will destroy your spiritual life. It is an area that, that God is not okay with unforgiveness in any way. And I, instead of telling you because you're going to think I'm speaking heresy here, uh, because I, I, I do, I believe like this will rock Christian theology, especially when it comes to grace, because we think that, that we're like we're covered, we're under the blood, there's grace, we're okay. I want you to just hear these words uh, and you figure it out for yourselves. But there's this, in Matthew 6, it says this, Actually, let me just take you there. Um, Jesus, this is part of the Beatitudes. He's, he's speaking to the people, and, he, and, and I love, he, he says a couple things. I'm just going to add this in here. It says, like, when you pray, he's talking about prayer. This is, uh, it, these are beautiful verses. He says, when you pray, 
don't be like the, the, the hypocrites. Uh, for they love to pray standing up in the synagogues on the street corners and be seen by people. Uh, he, goes, he says it again. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you pray, you go in your room and close the door. There are times of corporate prayer. We see it all through scripture. So uh, sometimes these things can be taken out of context and like, oh, not supposed to pray in public. No, no, no. The point is it's the position of the heart. And if you read all of the, if you read just even before that where he's talking about adultery and he's talking about divorce and oaths and, and, uh, and different things, he's saying, he goes, you've heard it said this, but I want to tell you that it's actually the position of the heart. So he's, he's, he's focusing on the heart here. But in this, as he's talking about prayer, it says this. We know this. It says, our Father in heaven. So he says, this is how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And then catch this. Forgive us our sins or our debts as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Not as we will. It doesn't say that. Look in every translation. It says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. And then it says, and lead us not a temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then it doesn't stop there. Next verse, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. There's not a caveat there. There's not a unless... Let's just read it one more time. If you forgive men when they have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. I don't think the church understands the depth and the importance of forgiveness and how this is not like a, an optional thing. It's not a nice thing that, you know, eventually we'll, we'll get to that point where we can all come to the place of forgiving someone. No. <laughs> I want my sins to be forgiven. I want God to forgive my sins, which are much greater than probably the things that, that I'm trying to forgive somebody else for. It is not an option. This is a command, and this is a very strong one. And, and this will keep us from that place of abiding. This will keep us from that place. And, and I know so many people in the church. I mean, I, I remember asking a while ago, I was like, hey, how many people have been hurt in the church? And I'm like, every hand went up. <laughs> I was like, oh, dear Lord, help. <laughs> there, the church has been offended by the church. And yet, we have Jesus, who's our perfect example. And he's on the cross naked, bloody to the point where you can't even recognize him. And he doesn't go, Lord, I need you to begin to take me through a process of forgiveness. 
It, there was no time for that. He said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If he can forgive in that position, in that place, and we have the Holy Spirit, I believe we can forgive in the moment. And it may be that, that you know, six months later, something kind of wells up, and, and I would just say, come back to the place of the Lord right now and just go, Lord, help me to forgive. I need to forgive right now. Whatever I need to do, if there's an action that needs to be followed, this is, we're contending not only for the lives of others, but for our own lives. This is so critically important. I, I, I want to just back this up with a, um, in Matthew 18. So Jesus is speaking again. These are the words of Jesus. And he, he's telling this story. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but um, you can go through it. It starts in verse 21 of Matthew 18. And it's the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it's how uh, it's, the master was, basically brings in uh, someone who owes him a debt, a large, large debt. And he says, and the, and the guy starts to plead for his life and for his family. And he goes, okay, I'm going to forgive you of all the debt, of, of everything. And then right after that, he goes out and finds someone who owes him a debt, small debt. And, and he says, nope, I'm not forgiving you. And I'm putting you in jail until you pay that debt. And the master finds out about it. And, and again, these are the stories that I just feel like, like they kind of, we go tilt. Because wait, this, not, this isn't the God that I thought, that there's, there's just this grace. And like, no matter what happens, we're gonna, everything's going to be good because he loves us so much. There are commands that he has for us that are, well, you hear it. You just hear it. I'll just, I'm going to read this last part. It says then, so Jesus is saying this. He's explaining this. This is part of the kingdom. This is, this is what he's talking to. He says, then the master called the servant in, and he said, you wicked servant. This is the same guy. He just said, hey, I've canceled your debt. He says, I canceled all of your debt because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy? Here it is. We love mercy. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back the debt he owed. And this one, this is where I was like, well, wait a minute, Lord. Like, you had forgiven him the debt. He had already been forgiven he calls him back in. He calls him a wicked servant. And he says, now you're not forgiven. Now you're going to pay back the debt. You're going to be tortured. And now the very debt that you were forgiven, you're no longer forgiven. You're going to be in jail and you have to pay back this debt, which was beyond anything that he could pay back. And then Jesus says these words. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I've been really bothered by this. And I'm like, and even to preach it, I, I go like, ah, this is not the fun message. But, and I'm still going, Lord, I, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't understand this. <laughs> Sometimes there's just things that we don't understand. But this is his word and this is his truth. And instead of trying to understand it, or even worse, instead of trying to like, 
well, that's not really what he meant. I mean, this is kind of just a story, but it's okay. You can have a little unforgiveness in your life. I, I don't know. But I can tell you in my life, as I read these scriptures, I'm going to make every effort to walk in forgiveness and love mercy because I want a heavenly father who is going to forgive me of my sins. And if, and if maybe I misread this thing and, and I could have a little unforgiveness in my life or I could unforgive or have unforgiveness towards a few people, well, you know, so what? Great. I, 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 I could have had more unforgiveness in this life, I guess. But if this is correct, then, man, I don't want any unforgiveness in my life. And I'm, I'm not, there's, why walk a fine line? Why try to justify something and say, well, unforgiveness is okay. It's not. It's just not. Um, and here's the beauty of it, is he puts the Holy Spirit in us. He's not saying, figure this out on your own. He's saying, come to me. All you who are weary and all of you are burdened, and I will give you rest. Like, you don't have to figure this out on your own. You have the Holy Spirit to be the one who's going to give you the strength to actually walk in this. It's the Father's heart that we would not live in a place of unforgiveness because it destroys our lives. That bitterness, like, comes in and it just rips us up. I've talked to so many people, especially in divorce situations. I feel like it's one area where it's like, yeah, I love people, but man, my ex, no way can I love them. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you don't have a choice in this matter. This isn't something you get to decide. If you want your sins forgiven, you better forgive. You better figure it out. And, and come to the Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord for strength to do it. But do not be so hard-hearted in your life and or think that you're justified. We walk justly. We do not judge. We are not the judge. And because we have sinned, do we think that we have the right to call others to a place to be the judge of others? You cannot pick up the stone and cast it if you have sinned yourself and think that you are justified to cast that stone into somebody else's life. Amen. The third part, I just want to speak into this. I feel like this is, this, oh, let me just, there's another scripture. If you haven't heard it enough, Mark 11, 25 and 26 says this. Um, it's a little different, but, uh, but it actually says that Jesus is speaking again. <laughs> just so you get it in your, you hear it a couple times here. Um, He's talking about faith. He's talking about prayer. He says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, here it is, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And then, it, and then depending on your translation, um, in, the, in the King James and the New King James, it goes on to say, it says this, and it's probably in your footnote. If it doesn't say it right there, you can look in your footnote, and it says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your sins. 
So, forgive. That, that easy. <laughs> the other part, I, I'm going to finish with this, this um, and then actually just give you one quick story in this. Uh, but uh, if you go to John 15, what we were in last week, I was praying into this, and I, and I saw this in a new way. Uh, this is where I love the mercy of our God. I, I love how much he loves us, and then he uses us as a people to, to go after those that aren't abiding, to go after those that, that maybe aren't walking fully in his ways. And he's like, don't just, I think the, the thing I'm seeing in the Father's heart, he's like, it's not just about you and Jesus. He goes, you're called as part of the body to contend for those around you who are maybe not walking in the fullness of Christ. That we, we it's iron sharpens iron. That we come alongside others and we say, no, I'm going to call you up to this higher place. I'm going to speak into your life. We got to start speaking into each other's lives a little more. And this is where even as we're, as we're meeting on the first Sunday of the month, like, we're going to contend for this together. We're going to fight for this. Uh, and we're going to call each other to a higher place. This, is, this, this verse, it hit me in a new way, and I hope, I hope I can clarify this and speak this to where you see the, the beauty of this. But in John 15, 6, it says, If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And I look at that, and I'm like, whew, well, Lord, thank you. That's not me. Like, I'm not one of those branches. I'm one of the and you. Those other branches, pff, wow, that's going to be a tough one for them. I think the reason the Lord is, is showing us this is he's saying, look, if you see those branches, if you see the ones that are on the ground that are disconnected, that are maybe thrown, have been thrown into the fire, I want you to go after them. I don't want you to just look at them and go, man, I, I, yeah, they should have read this scripture verse in John 15 because they're a little off and now they're, they've been cut off from the vine and they're thrown in the fire. And, and, and I want to say this, there is an accuser. Satan is the accuser. Jesus, he speaks life. The Father speaks life to us. But there is an accuser out there that, that, that and, and sadly, I want to be cautious to say this. Uh, uh, I hear the accuser's voice often in the church. Which means we may be listening to the wrong voice at times. And we're, we're accusing people and coming against them. Don't take the accusations that the enemy has against someone. Listen to those things and speak those into someone's life. We're called to speak life into people's lives. There is, there is an accuser, though, and I, if you go to Zechariah 3, I'm seeing this connection, and I just felt like, man, this is so good. It says this. You see this? Uh, it says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this, here, catch this. Is not this man a burning stick 
snatched from the fire. What did we just read in, in John 15, 6? Those that are cut off, they wither, and they're thrown into the fire. And he said, Joshua, Yeshua, was a, a man that was like a burning stick that was snatched from the fire. And it says, and he was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel who was standing before him said, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I put rich garments on you. This is what's happening, I believe, in the body of Christ in this season. This is what the Lord wants to see. We're about to see a revival. We're about to see things happen that we have never seen before. God is about to move and pour out his spirit like never before, and he is awakening his church. And there are branches that have been on the ground that are in the fire that he's saying, snatch them from the fire. Get them from the fire. And there's an atonement for the sins right now. And the Lord is saying, I am bringing them and I am reestablishing them. And this isn't a like a 10-year process where you go, okay, well, you're going to have to go through all this stuff and then maybe you can kind of step back into the church. No, 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 no. This is, there is an atonement for the sins to come back in. And here's what happens. It says, he said, then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put the clean turban on his head. Clothe him while the angel stood by uh, where the angel of the Lord stood by, and it says, the angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Here's the place where we're in right now. As we're being atoned for, as we're being those that are snatched from the fire and saying, look, your, your sins are, for, are atoned for. But he says now, if you will walk in my ways. What are his ways? Walk in the light. Walk in the forgiveness. Be repentant of your sins. Confess your sins. Like we're going to walk into this place of holiness. If you will walk in my ways and you will keep my commands, keep my requirements, he says, then I will give you, or I will, uh, <laughs> then you will govern my house and I will give you charge in my heavenly courts. Those that have been in the fire, I believe are about to be the ones that are being snatched out by the church who are going to say, nope, I'm not letting that one go because that's the Father's heart. He's, we're going to pull them out of the fire and we're going to say, no, we're going to contend for their life. We're going to pray for their life. And they're going to be the ones that are going to govern in the heavenly courts. We're going to see in Ezekiel 37, the breath come back into the church and there is going to be an army that arises and it's, it's where there were dead bones. There, going to, there is now going to be a church that is ready to move and ready to fight for the things that are on the Lord's heart. We're about to see a massive shift in the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 6, just to tie this together here. We see this where, same thing, Isaiah's like, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people that are unclean. He, this is, he's in the presence of the Lord and all of a sudden he's going, oh my gosh, like I, I don't, I'm sinful, I don't have this, I can't do this. And the Lord says, no, no, no. Sends the seraph with the, the coal, and he says, touch his lips, and he says, your sins have been atoned for. And he's positioning, this is again, I just saw this positioning of the church right now, out of the place of shame, out of the place of the burning fire, he's pulling them out and saying, 
get ready. And then he says, now who will go for me? And Isaiah, the one who was just atoned for, he says, here am I. Send me. If you go to Jude, and this just kind of ties it all together here, it says this. This is the calling he has for us. He goes, this is the call to persevere at the end of Jude. Uh, last couple of verses in verse 20, it says, but you, dear friends, build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Give yourselves to God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. It's his mercy that brings us to eternal life. That's why we love mercy. And then it says this, be merciful to those who are deceived. Be merciful to those who are doubting, who, who don't quite have it all figured out. Be merciful to those. And then he says, and snatch others from the fire. Here it is. We're snatching those, those, those branches from the fire. And save them. And to others, show mercy mixed with fear. Amen? Let me finish with this. I was talking, actually we were on a prayer call, and uh, there was a, a book somebody was reading from, if I can find it here, Heidi Baker, she, uh, she wrote this book called Living Underwater, and, and Christy and I have had the opportunity to spend some time with Heidi. We've both been to Mozambique. Um, we've got to go on vacation with them and just and have some sweet, sweet times together. Uh, and, and something I, I saw <laughs> kind of like convicted my heart as, as uh, wherever we were, whatever we were doing, every single day, every morning, she was just spending this, spending time with the Lord. It didn't matter how busy things were, how much was going on, She's like, nope, she was just with the Lord by herself, just like in the secret place, just praying and contending and just asking the Lord for things. And she wrote this, and, and, and it kind of like was a light bulb that went off in my head as she wrote this. Uh, this was in chapter seven of her book, Living Underwater, and she said, people often ask, what is the secret of revival? The secret place is the secret of revival. In the midst of my busy life, overseeing thousands of churches, caring for thousands of children, and feeding thousands of people every day, Jesus spoke to me to reverse my schedule. He wants our time. He said, I want you to come away, my beloved. I want to woo you. I want to love you. I want you to live in this secret place. And then he offered up this. He said, if you will give me your mornings, I will give you a nation. Heidi has been living this way for, for a number of years. Every day, she's given the Lord her mornings. Every morning. And you're like, of all the people, she's feeding 60,000 people a day. She's ministering at churches all over the world. She's, she has so much work. She has teams all over the place. And you would think, well, she doesn't have time to do that. She doesn't have time to take her mornings and, and just kind of spend time with the Lord. Like, 
do stuff. I believe in this as we, as we set our hearts, all these other things, I feel like if we don't do those things, if we don't walk in the place of repentance and forgiveness and mercy, like those are critically important. But then I feel like the Lord's saying, I'm drawing you into this secret place right now. I'm drawing you into this, this resting place in me. There is much to do and much to be accomplished, but apart from me, we can do nothing. Those are the words of Jesus. We have to be in this place of abiding in him. The power of prayer, the power of coming before him and contending in prayer, it, it, it not only sets our hearts in order, but it begins to establish the kingdom on this earth. And so I just feel like there is a, in, in, in Psalm 2, he says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. It's not just a quick ask. It's a place of coming and contending before the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm going to give you my very best. I'm going to spend time in your presence. I'm going to seek your face with all my heart. And from that place, we're going to begin to see things shift. We're going to see things happen that we could never do in our own strength and in our own ability. God's going to move on our behalf, but it comes from a place of surrender of our lives, surrender of our time, surrender of our ways. He says, give me your time and I will give you the nations. There's a, I just want to share this, this story of, if you've ever heard of the, it's called the Miracle of Dunkirk and it was in World War II. And uh, Reese House was a, he was leading a prayer group and and man, they were, they were contending for, uh, for Britain and for the world at that time uh, in the midst of, of what looked like just evil was, was winning. Hitler had, uh, was, was beginning to take over the world. He had, he had, he had come in, this is 19, May of 1940, and he had come into uh, to France and swept through France in such a short amount of time. And, and Churchill had, they had sent uh, about 300,000 troops over to, to kind of be that front with, uh, as they had declared war on, uh, on Germany. And so he had sent 300 of his troops over to help with France. And as they kind of swept through, as the Germans swept through, they, they, they swept them all the way down to this kind of this, this part of the, that was just adjacent to, to Britain. And, and they were on the beach and so there was about 400 troops that were there, and they were helpless. There was nothing they could do. The armies of, uh, of Hitler, uh, they, were, they, were, they had surrounded them. And they even said, they said, uh, we are going to annihilate these people, these 400,000. Uh, they had just kind of pridefully said, hey, they're gone. And, but the, the thing was, is they had every opportunity to. They had the military there. Uh, they could just go in and wipe them out. And, and Reese House, what was really interesting, I was looking, and so I, haven't, I didn't see the connection, but I was reading the, this book, Intercessor, by Reese, Reese House, uh, and then and in reading some of the excerpts of the Times, uh, like these dates of things that were happening. And on the 22nd through the 25th 
of May of 1940, uh, Reese House just got away with the Lord. And, and we don't know exactly what he did, but, uh, but he, was, he just said, I've got to get away from the group. He went and basically just set himself before the Lord for four days. He came back, and the next day, the King of England, uh, King George VI, declared a national day of prayer uh, for, that, for that Sunday. And it said that there were, they'd never seen anything like it. Millions of people came in. They came to all the, the churches, and uh, people were praying. And here's the thing. They had, they had 300,000 troops that were about to die, about to lose their life. And, and then and a nation that was about to be taken over. And he called the people to prayer. And I felt like it's, this is kind of like a modern-day 2 Chronicles 20, where Je, uh, Jehoshaphat calls the people to pray. He calls the people to pray and fast for three days. And, uh, and so they, they pray. And, and here's what happens. There, were, there was just a couple miracles that, were, that happened here. First off, um, Hitler... I'm going to read this part. It says, uh, they, they didn't even, they don't know exactly what happened, but Hitler overruled his generals and halted the, the ground troops from proceeding and wiping out the 400,000 soldiers. And, and it was later thought by Churchill stated this, that the reason that he wanted to do this is because he wanted to show his air superiority. And so he wanted, he halted the troops so that the air, air, his air force would come in and wipe them out. And just to show how superior his air force was. It was a place of pride in his own life. And it was one of his biggest mistakes that he, that he made in the military, in this military battle. Um, because right after that, what happened, and this was the second miracle. So that was the first part right there. The second miracle was that right after that, there was a storm, it says, of unprecedented fury that broke out right over where their air force was, was grounded, uh, was, was based, and that they were going to take off from. So much so that the air force actually couldn't take off, and only if they could get a few planes out. And so instead of this Air Force coming in and, and annihilating the 400,000 troops, um, it, it, it suppressed this Air Force where they couldn't get off the ground. And then here was the crazy part. Just 10, so this was 10 miles from where they were. And, and Dunkirk is actually the, it's a seaport in France. And it was the one place that they could, if they could get the troops to that point, they could try to do the evacuation. But the problem was, is with the Air Force of the, the German Air Force, they were going to wipe them out. They were going to destroy all the boats. But here's what happened. With that, so that storm was hitting in, in a crazy way that shut down the, the, the Air Force. And at the same time, there was 10 miles away, there was complete calmness. It was, it, they said it was, like, it was like a sea of glass over the channel between, between France and, and uh, Britain, it, which is, it, this is a channel, like there's waves. There's, it was literally like as calm as a sea of glass. And what they were able to do is they had over about a thousand boats. They came in from everywhere, like just, I mean, paddle boats, private boats, like, and they started to come in. They came up to Dunkirk and they started to bring these troops over. And, and of they, they expected, they thought when they were going to do this evacuation, they expected only about 30, 
20 to 30,000 would make it, which meant that 360 to 370,000 would perish. They were able to, uh, to bring back 338,000 of the troops uh, because of the things that, that shifted, because of the calm waters, because of Hitler's poor decision, and because of the storm that hit right over the Air Force. And, and they said this was an unprecedented miracle, that there was no other, there was no other explanation than, than because of the position of prayer. As a nation came to pray, God moved on their behalf. And there were two other really cool, just short little miracles that, there were so many things that happened. They said there was all these things, but one of the things that happened, there was a group of 400 soldiers and they were on the beach and one of the, or a couple of the planes actually did, that did, were able to take off. They were just pummeling them and they were, uh, they were dropping bombs and they were firing uh, the bullets and, and things were flying around and they said they were just all like laying on the ground and they said after they, they finished and they flew off, it said all 400 of them stood up. Not one person lost their life in that group and in that battle. And then there was another story of a chaplain where the same kind of thing, he was just, the bullets were flying and the planes were coming in and he was laying on the beach and, and, and after they left, he said he got up and he said, and there was a, like an outline or a silhouette of his body and bullets all around that outlined his body, and yet not one hit him. This is the God that we serve. He is such a good father. All right, would you guys stand up? I'm going to just close here. I know I, I hit a lot today. Um, ah, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the secret place. We thank you for the calling on your church. Lord, we thank you that you're calling us to walk in the light as you are in the light. Thank you for the opportunity to, to live from a place of repentance, to have forgiveness in our heart, that we would not judge others, that we would not take the voice of the accuser and accuse those that are around us, but we would not judge, but we would love mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you're, you're showing us and teaching us that, that our job is to actually snatch them from the fire begin to contend for the lives of those that, 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 that they don't see it themselves. And we don't go, oh, man, I can't believe they did that. Give them a, kind of kick them <laughs> in the back as, they, as they're already down. Lord, I thank you for such a love and a compassion and a mercy for the lives of others. Lord, open our eyes to see what you see. Awaken our hearts. And Lord, I thank you that you're calling us into this abiding prayer that this is the hour of prayer. This is the hour for your church to come into prayer, to come into that effective prayer. That, Lord, when we pray, things shift because we're in alignment with your plans and with your purposes. So, Lord, I just thank you. I pray a blessing over every person here, everyone who's watching online. Lord, I thank you that you're strengthening us by your spirit. We can't do this alone, and we know it. Lord, we have a contrite heart. Isaiah 66 says this, the one that the Lord esteems is the one who humbles themselves, has a contrite spirit, and trembles at the word of the Lord. May that be us. 
Would you lift up your people in this season? Strengthen us for the days ahead to accomplish everything that you call us to accomplish. May we walk in your ways and in your will. Teach us your ways that we may walk in them all the days of our life. Rest your favor upon us. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Go in his grace and forgive. By the way, we are going to head out. We're going to go out. Uh, if you are going to come out with us, we're just, um, actually, why don't you just, we can just meet up here and uh, kind of make plans here. But I know we're going to have to get food or, and clothes from the, from the blessing room. We'll pack up cars and then we'll head up. But you guys need to know where we're going to. So why don't we just, I'm just going to, we'll kind of set a quick base right here and then go from here. God bless you. Love you.